That's awesome. Y'all, just go ahead and have a seat for just a second. Thanks for singing. Hello, New Spring. Hello. It is wonderful to see all of you guys here today. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you're with us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us and making us a part of your week. We have a great service planned for you today. In just a moment, we're going to pick worship right back up, and Pastor Jonathan will be taking the stage to bring us the next talk in the New Spring Live series. But before he comes, I would like to chat real quick with all of our first-time guests. So if you are a first-time visitor here at New Spring, we are so thrilled that you're here, and we would love to hear from you. So please fill out the talk to us card that you received in your worship guide. Just put down whatever information you're comfortable with sharing and then slip it in the offering bucket as it passes by. Or better yet, take it back to guest services at the end of the hour. You may have seen it when you were walking in. There's one um, up front in the lobby and there's also one back down by the coffee shop. If you turn that over to them, they'll exchange it for a free gift as our way of saying thank you so much for coming. Well, I'm going to let the band take it away in just a second, but first, I want to direct your attention up to the video boards to check out this special message.
Amen. Praise God. Thank you all for worshiping in song. Let's pray together. God, we just do, we thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here to worship with our voices, to worship through instruments, and to worship as one body, God. This is not performance. This is not a show. No matter what it looks like, God, we are lifting you up. We are lifting praise upward, Father. We are joining outwardly together as one group, lifting our praise, all of our glory, all of our direction towards you, Father. We thank you for your truth, trusting that every word you say is truth, God. May you speak through the word, speak with Jonathan, God, and may we be blessed and understanding and encouraged by the promises that you are our strength, you are our shield in times of need, God. We can hope at you all at all times, God. We praise you and love you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again. You can have a seat. Go ahead and have the ushers go ahead and come on forward. We take our tithes and offering at this time, and y'all can check out the screens and see what's up. In just a moment, we'll hear a message from God's Word, so please put your cell phone on silent. Also, if you have a child in the room that begins to make noise, please step out into the foyer so that others can concentrate on the message without distraction. Starting Point is an eight-week small group that meets on campus during our weekend services. It's a place where you can explore faith and ask questions about God, Jesus, the Bible, and much more. In fact, no question is off limits. If you'd like to learn more or join a group, just visit newspring.org slash starting point. That was a little on the light side. I think we can get more from that. How's everybody doing today? We doing good? Thank you. There we go. It's all right. You can be loud in church. We won't get mad at you. Um, but yeah, hey, uh, New Spring Live. I've, I've yeah, I know. I'm really, really kind of going to miss. This is my last time to ride the stage. I know. You know? Yeah, last time on Maybe the Maybe they'll let me do it during the week a couple times. <laughs> yes. Maybe I can come in and ride the yeah. stage when Actually, nobody's here. Uh, we've talked about the, the New Spring staff uh, fitness program is just to run this and use it as a big treadmill. Right. And so that's what we're working on. That would Have be pretty cool. to move a little faster. But yeah, but it would, it would be all right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it. we're on the downhill slope, too. This yes. Last, last, we got question number two and question number one. Right. And, I'm, and I know you were disappointed that, that Dad wasn't here last week. Oh, no. You're no. probably still disappointed that no, he's not here no, this no, week. No, no, no. But next week, 
He's next, back. Next week's season. He's two. back. Yeah. Right? I, and your I contract gonna... stipulates you have to do the entire series, so yeah. you still have one more week. You know? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been wondering if that contract was going to get break, broken by some of the stuff oh, you're no. saying up you here. Oh, no. You can't get out of it. Uh, well, you know, hey, uh, we're, t- we're asking tough questions. The thing about it is, uh, we talked about this last week, you're used to tough questions. Sort of, yeah. Uh, because you are you, you do marriage counseling and marriage uh, coaching. Coaching, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that, that takes a lot. That's a lot of tough questions. You think there are tough questions about marriage? Yeah, <laughs> I got tons of them. I mean, you're dealing with the questions of men, you know, differences between men and women, like Whoa, which hold way? up, hold up, hold up, hold up. There are differences between men and women? Oh, oh yeah, if you didn't know this, so let me just fill you in. <laughs> okay, One, good, I want you to tell me. Big, big tough question. Which way does the toilet paper roll go on? Oh, no, this is true. You know okay. how this works, right? The toilet paper is—it's going to hang one of two ways. There's no in between. It's uh-huh. either going to hang over the top yeah. or behind the the back, yeah. and it really depends on which. And and honestly, this is one of the big questions you have to ask before you get married. I exactly. mean, which, honestly, because you know you need to be compatible on this in crucial element. You I know? didn't even know it was supposed to be on the spinny thing. To be honest with you, right? I just, uh, you sit on top of the toilet, you're good. You know. Look at how marriage has evolved That's, you. Two years in, two know. years in, and you're you all over. You learn a whole lot. The like, toothpaste tube, you, yeah. has to either, you either roll or squeeze. Do you exactly. roll or squeeze, right? And, and growing up, I grew up with three brothers. Which we had a big I grew house. up with two, so I understand. I had to share a bedroom with a lot of people, but right. it is, it's weird sharing it with a girl, okay? Right. She's always hot. I mean, she's always cold, and I'm always hot. I mean, she would sleep with a live sheep on top of her if she could. If, she, if, we, if I would let her do it, she would do that, and I'm burning up. <laughs> Those are the differences, and so this. this do you is my sneak? Question. Do you sneak the climate control? Yes. Because yes. that happens in my house, yeah, right? We go, we go behind it. each other's back. She and gets hit a little the, marker and marks it, and then right. marks marks the area that I get in trouble at. That's yeah. the fingerprint that's, kit. Yeah, Who touched big, the climate control last? Exclamation point. Well, here's the thing. I was just wondering for your coaching. How mm-hmm. long does that take? Maybe we, you know, what, what does that look like? Like, what is what is it when? Yeah, yeah if we want well, to answer these questions. A, depending on whether you know whether it's a therapist and they're doing counseling or somebody like me and we do coaching or whatever, you know, usually you're talking 50 minutes an hour or. Okay. All right. Okay. Any anyhow, um, and then that takes place, you know, a lot. Sometimes once a week or whatever over the course of maybe six, eight weeks. Sometimes longer. Wow. What if you did like a marriage marriage coaching express? They got Taco Bell expresses. You could do that. You just shorten it down. Twenty minute session. Hey, good job, team. No. Go get them. Twenty. No, not twenty minutes. Yeah. You cannot. You you can't. You can't. You can't do that. See, the point is, you want to get together. You want to have time to explore feelings, ah. to talk about situations. You want to go back into the history and talk about what's happened up to this point, family yeah. of origin, all the sorts of things. Very important, and you don't. See, my no, my no, method has been avoiding is... avoiding feelings by going to Dairy Queen. That usually works all the time. You really, can, you can avoid any conversation with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah. yeah, but but you don't think you could speed it up like a Spark Notes version, anything like that, or a. a, a Five minute go get him session. Way to go. No. Husband sometimes can be right. I think I think you're on the wrong path here. No. Are you, you sure? You yeah. can't speed it up at all. Well, I mean, any advice there? Speeding quick, quick like a, a quick tip. Okay. All right. Ignore your feelings and go buy your spouse a bunch of expensive gifts. That's what I'm talking about. Those are some answers that are going to help me out. I'll fudge it on the expensive part. But hey, let's, let's look at question number two. Uh, thanks for answering mine. I appreciate good, it. Good luck. All right. With that. See you guys. Yeah. I'm going to miss these little talks. Um, uh, so one quick thing before I get started in the message uh, this morning. I, I was on a vacation recently with my family. We were in Colorado Springs and uh, got to see all kinds of cool stuff in that part of the country. There's a lot of different neat things you can do. And we went to the uh, Air Force Academy uh, in Colorado Springs, and we went into the uh, chapel. How many have been to the chapel at the Air Force Academy in Colorado? Yeah, it's a beautiful building, is it not? It's, it's in a huge structure and just a really neat place to be. 
And as I went in there, um, I was deeply impressed uh, by the sense of, of, I was just humbled to be there because I thought of all the cadets that had been there and worshiped there and, and in the course of, of, of learning what they needed to know to serve their country and then thinking of those who had been there at some point and trained as a cadet and then given their life in the service of our country. And so this is, this is more than just a fun weekend. It's more than just a getaway weekend. This is a weekend where we think about those who've given their lives for our freedom. Freedom is free, but it was not cheap. And for those who have given their lives, that is a huge sacrifice. And for their families, um, whom they left behind. So just, it's, it's, it's not at all adequate, but can we give a round of applause as our way of honoring those who've gone before us? Well, you saw the topic when it came up on the screen, and you know that I'm headed in deep water here because this is, this is a major topic. It's one we don't like to talk about a whole lot. We don't like to talk about death a bunch. I remember signing up for life insurance. My wife's in the service. It was a couple years ago. We went and, and sat at a table with an insurance agent and talked about all of the eventualities of what would happen if one of us were to uh, pass away or both of us were to. And I got to be honest with you, that was not a pleasant time. I, I don't have any desire to go back and redo any of that. I mean, it's just leave it be. You know, don't tinker because that was, that was not an experience I want to go back and relive. And death isn't something that we like to talk about. Frankly, I was thinking about that as I was getting ready to give this message. I thought, man, I'm going to get up in front of 6,000 people and, and talk about the D word for, you know, 35 minutes. And uh, it's, not, it's not a pleasant topic, but it's a topic that we need to be aware of. It's a topic that we need to talk about because nothing is more important than what happens to you the moment that you leave this world. And there are a lot of opinions, yes? I mean, you'll get a lot of different viewpoints if you throw that question out there. What happens the moment that you die? I've talked to some people who say, well, Jonathan, you just cease to exist, you know? I mean, it's like when the lights go out. I mean, it's just dark, and there's nothing, and it's just kind of, you know, nothingness. And, and I have one person say, you know, Jonathan, have you ever had surgery? I said, yes, I've had surgery. You remember what it was like when they put you out? You know, you were awake one minute, and then you were just out? That's kind of like what death is like. And some people really think that, right? They really feel that. And we'll be talking about the reasons that they feel that way in a little bit. Some people say that, well, you know, when you die, you go to a better place, right? And that's a neat answer, but it's a little vague. I mean, especially, I mean, if you want to go to a better place than Kansas, you don't have to die to get there. That was terrible. I shouldn't have said that. I've heard a few outlandish things. I remember I was at uh, the church that I served before I came here to New Spring, and I used to have different responsibilities and different jobs. And one of the things that I did was I, I helped out with funerals. Um, and, and funerals are interesting. They take a lot of different forms. A lot of different things happen. At this particular funeral, there was kind of like an open mic time when anybody could sort of get up and say anything they wanted to say about the, the guy who had passed away. And so there were a lot of people who came up, and, and you know, the, the kids came up and talked about grandpa and dad and talked about how he had, he had been a Marine, he was a man's man, you know, he had had this amazing career and he was, you know, he was great to everybody who was around him and all the grandkids loved to spend time with him. And I mean, you know, I didn't meet the guy, but I'm starting to think this guy must have been something pretty exceptional, you know? I mean, I was, I was bought in. I thought this guy was really great. And then, you know, a few other people came up, co-workers and so forth. The last person who came up to speak uh, was a medical person. I can't remember what specific uh, role they had um, with this, but I guess she had um, met him during the course of her duties at the hospital as he was uh, slipping away. 
and she came up and she talked about how wonderful he was, talked about his, you know, his kind nature, his gracious um, uh, way of approaching things. And I, you know, I just was really thinking, man, this lady has said some nice things. I wish somebody would get up at my funeral and say some nice things about me, like this lady said about this guy. You know, these are the weird things you think at a funeral. But anyhow, so she does this whole long thing. And then her very last statement, she said, and now he's a butterfly. So there you go. There's some different opinions about what happens to you when you die. But here's what I want to talk about. Whatever you believe about death, whatever your approach and your belief is at this point, one thing we can agree on, and that is that it happens, right? I mean, the death statistics remain relatively unchanged. About one out of every one dies, right? So if if unless Jesus comes back first, all of us are going to have to face this at some point in our life, then we need to have a clear answer for what happens to us the moment that we die. And first of all, I just want to say there's two ways of approaching this, right? One way is to believe that death can be described and understood in terms of what we can see and what we can observe, right? I was uh, there when my wife gave birth to um, each of our girls. I was, I, I've, I've been at the hospital as individuals have slipped away. I've seen birth and I've seen death. And it is tempting from a human point of view to believe that we can understand birth and death from what we can see and observe. Now there's a few problems with that perspective, but I think probably the biggest one is this that even though we have brilliant scientific minds and we have people who really have learned how to observe things uh, in, in ways that I can't even imagine, the, 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 the ability to uh, examine things microscopically and do all this amazing scientific work, no matter how genius we seem to get with science, the best of human intellect cannot tell you how life was created in the first place. They can't do it. So if the best of human intelligence cannot explain how life started in the first place, I don't think it's adequate to accept that answer for what happens to us the moment that our life ends. And there is another option. And the other option is to believe that there is more to death than what we can see and what we can observe. And right off the bat, that's good news. Because if you've had a loved one that's passed away, you know that what you can see and what you can observe and what you feel are really negative things. None of us wants to plan a funeral service for somebody we love. None of us has any kind of good feelings in our heart when we have to say goodbye and we don't have that person around anymore and there is a separation in our relationship because they've gone on. So it is good to think that there is something more to death than just what it looks like. And I want to take you to the Bible. I want to make a case for that, first of all. And then I want to talk about a little bit about why death happens. I want to talk about what's important before you die. And then we're going to wrap this up, okay? Here's the first thing. Number one is this. When the Bible talks about death in general, right, in general, the term that you see translated death uh, is just a word for separation, right? So this is one where, we, where, where, where God is the first person to mention death, and when God mentions death, he uses a word that means separation. Over time, death has come to us to mean the end, because that's what it looks like from an earthly perspective. But to God, death has always meant separation. So if that's what death means, then separation from what? And in order to answer that question, I need you to be a little patient with me, because we're going to have to do a little digging and go back to the beginning of the Bible and take a look 
at how this has stacked together. There is a backstory, and the first thing I need you to recognize is that God created us as eternal beings, right? The Bible says that there is a part of me on the, on, on the inside that you cannot see, you cannot examine, there are no medical diagrams of this part of me, but yet it is the part that thinks, that reasons, that is logical and yet emotional, that makes decisions, and that is not my, that, that is not my brain. My brain certainly performs some of those functions, but, in, but, but at the heart of who I am is my soul. And the Bible says that that soul is designed to go on living forever. Look at this in Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Now man is a physical structure, but he is not yet alive. Then he breathed the breath of life. Whose life? God's life. Into the man's nostrils, and he became a living person. The best translation of the end of that verse is he became a living soul, or he became a soul residing within a body. By the way, you know that the body is not, your body is not the most valuable part of you right? Now, some of us, I'm 32, and I'm beginning to really, 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 really get that my body's not the most valuable part of me. Some of you are really young, and you think you look really good, but let me tell you, eventually, as time goes on, you will learn that your body's not the most important part of you, but it is so disproportionate. Our soul is so much more important because it is the part of us that is going to go on living forever. Now, how do I know that God intended for it to live forever? Well, there are several passages in the Bible that talk about the soul going on. But in Mark 8, 36, I think this is a really profound way of putting it. And Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, right, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now think about this, right? Say, if, if your soul is not eternal, then this makes no sense. Because if you can gain the whole world, then you might as well do it, Right? If that's the most, if, if, if your soul is not going on beyond the time that you die. But your soul is eternal. So God is saying, look, if somebody were to, and it won't happen, but if somebody were to offer you everything in the world and say, I want to, to exchange that for your soul, it would be a bad deal because the world is going to pass away. The Bible tells us this world is headed for an end, but your soul is eternal. By the way, this is free. I'm throwing this in just as an extra, okay? This wasn't part of the message. But every once in a while, I run into somebody who thinks, that the earth that we live in, and I'm all about conserving resources, and I'm all about protecting the beauty of the world that God gave us. But just so we're clear, I meet a few people who think that the world that we live in is more important than the people who live in it. And let me just tell you, that is not biblical. The Bible says that your soul is going to last forever, and this world is not going to last forever. So just so we've got that settled. Okay. Um, so here's the story, right? God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's a perfect environment. And this makes sense, right? If God designed you to live forever and he puts human beings in a perfect environment, all of that makes sense, right? But then something really bad happens and it starts with God delegating authority. Now that could have been good, but it didn't end up good. God delegates authority for earth to Adam and Eve. And what he does is he gives them a charge to take charge of the earth, but in the middle of that, he says, now here's the thing. You can eat from any of the trees in the Garden of Eden. You just can't eat from the tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of, of um, good and evil. You cannot eat from that tree, because if you do, you will die. Now, have Adam and Eve watched anybody on this earth physically die? No, they're the first two people. What God said is, if you eat that fruit, you will surely separate, right? And we're going to get there in just a minute. But okay, so God's given them a charge. You can eat any of the fruit of the garden. You can't eat from the fruit of this tree. And then God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. Now look at this. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth. What? Take charge. God delegated authority 
of the earth that we live in to human beings with the, with, with the intent that human beings would follow his instructions. It's like kind of handing over the keys. Here's, here's an illustration of kind of what happened just in a different sense. Imagine for a moment that you have unlimited resources. This will be a pleasant moment. For just a moment, imagine that you have unlimited resources, and you have a child in your home who turns 21, and you want to do something nice for this 21-year-old, and you've got anything you could possibly, you know, you have access to anything. And so you go and you get for this 21-year-old a perfect, bright red, Mercedes E-Class, coupe, convertible, decked out, you know, all the, all the extras, and you tell your child, this is still my car. This is my car, but I'm going to let you use it. It's, it's, it's for your use. I still own the title. My name is on the title, but it's for your use. I'm handing over the keys to you, okay? Now, you can do anything with this car you want. What you cannot do is go street racing, because if you go street racing, you're going to wreck the car, and then that's going to be problematic. So here's the keys. You can do what you want with it. Just don't go street racing. So on the way down the road, your kid picks up a friend of theirs, right? And this is one of those kids that if their brains were dynamite, wouldn't blow their hat off on a windy day. And this kid convinces your kid to go street racing with the car. So they do, and they wreck the car, right? Now here's the deal. It would not be your fault that the car was wrecked, and yet it's still your car, and it's still wrecked. Your intent, this is what I want you to get, your intent at that point is broken. You wanted to give your child something nice to use and now it's wrecked. And that is what happened with this world. God intended for human beings to use this world not because we deserved it but because out of the goodness of God's heart God wanted to place us in it and God handed over the keys and unfortunately Adam and Eve listened to Satan. And here's what's really important, right? The moment that they ate from the tree of the, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, they quit submitting to God's authority and they submitted to Satan's authority, just as if this kid convinces your kid to go street racing, at that moment, your kid has stopped submitting to your authority, and they have submitted to, you know, the punk in the passenger seat, right? So here's what's important. Now we have a couple problems. Number one, the world that we live in is wrecked. The moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the world that we lived in was total. And some of us, can, we, we know that because we've experienced it physically, we've experienced it situationally. We know we live in a broken world. Nobody has to tell us that. But the world was wrecked from that moment on. And, and also, we were going the wrong direction. Because now, instead of being submitted to God's authority, the human race was submitted to Satan's authority. That's... That's why, I think because we live in a wrecked planet, I think that's why God is saying, look, there has to come a point where there's a separation. Because no matter what you believe about life and death, and there are a lot of different beliefs, I've, I've talked to nobody who's told me that they want to live on this planet forever. Right? I mean, I, I, how would you feel if somebody offered you that opportunity? Hey, you, you can live on this planet forever, but, you know, the sickness isn't going to stop. Political unrest isn't going to stop. You never know when a war is going to crop up. You never know when something bad is going to happen. You're going to have all the same financial stresses you have now, maybe depending, and depending on what comes down the road, maybe more. How would you like to live on this planet forever? Most of us are going to say, I'm not sure I'm ready for that, right? I mean, we want to live a long time, but forever is a long time, right? So there has to become a separate, there has to be a separation. I remember going to the... Um, Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian. Anybody been to the Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian? I'm taking poll of museums and, and buildings today. Um, but I went to the Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian, and there was a F-14 Tomcat 
in the, in the building, and, or at least a part of one. And there were steps on either side where you could go up and look into the cockpit. So I went up the one side, and I was looking in there, and, and there was a veteran on the other side who came up the other steps. I don't know if he was Navy or Air Force or whatever, but he seemed pretty interested in airplanes. And I was standing there looking into the cockpit, and there was the seat, and the big, you know how they have a little plaque that has explanations or whatever? The plaque that was in there was all about the ejection seat. Now, I don't know if you know about ejection seats in these planes. I just read about it on this display. Apparently, it's all, almost like there's a rocket attached to the bottom of that seat. And when they press eject, that rocket propels them up out of the top of that plane. And there have been individuals who've gotten injured punching out of the airplane, right? And so I was reading that, and I thought I would be brilliant. I was 16. I knew everything anyway. And there was this guy standing across from me, this veteran, and I said, man, it looks like it was a pretty unpleasant experience to punch out of one of these airplanes. And he said, well, it's less unpleasant than hitting the deck. And I thought, that's, that's the way death works. Because death is not a pleasant experience. None of, us, none of us wants to go through death. That's not cool, you know. And yet, for each of us, there will come a moment where God has to hit the eject button to punch us out of a world that is on a trajectory for a very bad end. There's going to have to come a separation. There's going to have to come a moment where we leave a planet that's headed for destruction. 2 Corinthians 5 1 says this, For we know that when the earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. That's the other part of the equation. Because we know that the bodies that we live in are only temporary containers. And the older I get, the more I realize that the body that I live in is only a temporary container, right? I have less hair than I had a few years ago, right? My body's starting to show signs that it, it does keep track of age, you know? And so I love the fact that the Bible talks about our bodies as tents that will at some point get taken down. I remember um, back, I can't, gosh, I can't remember what year it was, uh, we were getting ready to build this building, and we had a groundbreaking ceremony. And on this spot, as a matter of fact, there was a huge yellow tent for us to have a service for the groundbreaking on the new property. And uh, so... I remember that, you know, there was a, a good number of people there. The tent was nice and stable. It was nice and sturdy. We had a good service. But there wasn't anybody who objected after the service was over when the tent started getting taken down. Nobody came and said, hey, you can't do that. That's our church. Don't take our church down, right? Why? Because there was always an understanding that that tent was just a temporary structure. It was just there for this particular purpose, and that it was blocking something. It was blocking the permanent structure. If that tent had stayed up, this building wouldn't be here. The tent needed to come down for what was always intended to be there, for what was permanent. So see, God has a permanent intention for you, and at some point, he will dismantle the tent that you live in so that the real you, the soul, the eternal part of you, goes on living and can be with him. Now, so far, everything that I have said applies to everybody in this room. Unless Jesus comes back first, and I would be all for that. Anybody with me on that? I'd be for Jesus coming back first, right? Yeah, I would take that any time. But unless he does come back first, every single one of us in this room will at some point have to approach death. So, this is where there's a parting of the ways. This is where things split off. Because the Bible tells us that the fact, that there will be, the fact that there will be a separation, the fact that at some point you will leave this planet, requires from you a decision. See, at New Spring, <clears throat> you'll hear us talk about the fact that we believe in a real heaven and a real hell, right? We don't believe they're states of mind. They're real places, right? 
And as wonderful as I could make heaven out to be for you, I could not describe how great it is. And as bad as I could try to make hell out to be, I could not describe how bad it is, right? Now, what you should know, though, is that we don't believe that hell was designed for human beings. We, we believe that God designed hell for Satan and his angels. The problem is that when Adam and Eve decided not to submit to God's authority anymore and to submit to Satan's authority, they moved out of God's line, following God, walking towards God's destination, and they got in Satan's line, following Satan and walking towards his destination, right? Which was a huge problem. And, and please don't make any mistake about this. God could have just left it that way. God could have just left it that way. But the message of the Bible, you know, sometimes people get intimidated by this book. There's a lot of print, there's a lot of pages, a lot of stories, a lot of different ideas, and sometimes it can be a little intimidating, right? You know, what, what's in here? Can I tell you that the overarching message of this book, if you understand this message, then you understand this book. The message is that God loved human beings too much to leave them in that line headed for destruction. God just loved us too much to do that. And so the Bible tells us that God sent his son, and we see this in John chapter 3. In verse 16, many of us have committed this verse to memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. They do not stay in the same line. They move into God's line and have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some people think that. Some people think the whole reason that God came here was to make us feel bad about ourselves. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says God sent Jesus into the world to save the world through him. And I love this. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So anyone who believes in Jesus, the Bible says, is not headed for condemnation. Now, you might say, Jonathan, I, I'm, I'm following you up to this point, but, but this is where I get a little lost. Because you, you talk about the fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross, that has something to do with where I spend you know, eternity when I die. But, but how, how does that connect? What, what, is, what does Jesus dying on the cross have to do with whether or not I go to heaven? Well, the Bible says that when we do things wrong, and how many of us know that we do things wrong? I mean, that's, that's nothing new, right? When we do things wrong, it creates a sort of debt, right? I brought with me up on the stage today a sample of a, a bill. Anybody seen anything like this? You know, they send them to your house pretty regularly. Whoever in your house does the bills, right, they deserve a special crown in heaven, right? Um, but what is the message of a bill? The message is you have accrued this debt with us and you must pay it in order to have your account right with us. So what happens is when we fall short of God's standards, there is a bill, and my bill probably now could fill a whole storage building, but we have a bill of things that we've done wrong that have to be paid for. Now why is that important? You have to understand that heaven is all about God, and heaven revolves around God, and God is perfect. If you ever wondered how good do you have to be to get into heaven, you should know that heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. So if, if, if you want to know how good does it take to get into heaven, perfection is the standard. Basically, in order to get into heaven, you have to have a zero balance, nothing on your bill. So here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Jesus, as he died on the cross, paid for our bill so that we could approach heaven with a zero balance. Now, how in the world could Jesus do that, right? 
What, how is it that Jesus somehow is able to pay for someone else's bill? Because let's just be honest, right? If I'm right about the fact that my bill could probably fill a storage building, and I think we pretty, pretty much all know that's true, right? And if you've got your own bill to pay, then one thing is clear. I cannot pay your bill, and you cannot pay mine. No matter how great a person I think you are, and I think you're all great people, no matter how wonderful I think you are, I could not pay your bill for you. I got my own problems, right? So how is Jesus able to pay for us? Look in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For God made Jesus Christ, who never sinned. Important words. God and man at the same time. The Bible says Jesus was tempted just as we are as human beings. But he was God and man at the same time, and he never sinned. To be the offering or the payment for our sin or for our bill, so that we could be made right or so accounts could be settled with God. How? Through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and I brought this verse up with me. The tech team does not have this, but I love this verse, and I thought about it at the last minute. The Bible says he forgave us all our sins, or he, he paid for all of our debts, having canceled, and look at this, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. So what we were legally bound to pay, he canceled it. How did he cancel it? He has taken it away nailing it to his cross. So how did Jesus pay for your bill? When he died on the cross. See, that's why the cross is so important to us. Please don't ever think that the cross is important just because it's a historical sign or some sort of symbolic icon. The cross is important to us because it is there that our bills got paid and Jesus took care of the things that we've done wrong. And it is as though Jesus took the bill and said, as long as you're okay with me paying for it, I'm just going to tear this up. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't see a bill of things that's wrong. He just knows that Jesus has paid for it all. And even though we are so imperfect, we get access to a perfect place for perfect people. That is the message of the Bible. But then that brings on a whole new question, right? And that's the question of, well, if that's true, Jonathan, if you're, if you're right about that, then why doesn't God just um, forgive everybody? Why doesn't God just blanket the earth with forgiveness? Nobody goes to hell. Everybody goes to heaven. Happy endings for everybody. Why doesn't God just do that? Maybe it still has to do with how good you are. No, no, take that off the table. I, I can guarantee you, I can give you verse after verse of the fact that it has nothing to do with how good you are, right? It has to do with what God wants from you in the first place. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is it that God wants from me? Why am I here in the first place? Let me tell you that what God wants with you is a relationship. That's why God created human beings in the first place. I love, and it's kind of in a bad context because Adam and Eve have just, you know, done something very wrong. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that the Lord God came walking about in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. Do you know what Bible scholars tell us they think that means? They think that that means that God was in the habit every day of going to the Garden of Eden and walking with Adam and Eve. God wanted to have a relationship with us. That's why he created us in the first place. That's why he was so hurt when Adam and Eve broke the rules, and that's why he was willing to send his son to pay for the debt so that there would be a second chance. You say, well, that, so that, doesn't, that doesn't answer my question, John. My question was, why doesn't God blanket the world with forgiveness and everybody goes to heaven and nobody goes to hell? Well, let me ask you this question. If what God wants from you is a relationship, if I'm right about that, and I think I can make a good biblical case for it, if I'm right about that, how many of us know that a forced relationship is not a relationship. 
if you make someone be in a relationship with you, that's kidnapping. And God's too much of a gentleman for that. He gives you a choice. Now it is a wide open choice. The Bible says anyone who will can come. Anyone who will can come and accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But God will not strong arm you. He will not force you. He will not manipulate you. That's just flat out not his style. He gives you a choice. And the Bible says that he, he, he puts it in front of you in the form of a gift. Check this out. Ephesians 2.8. God saved you by his grace when? When you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. I told you. It's not about anything that you've done. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. Nobody can go around saying, I'm getting, I'm getting to heaven on my own. For we are God's masterpiece. And I love this. Check this out. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, right? So you remember God creates human beings. Human beings choose the dark side. Now God is recreating through Jesus. So what? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago so that what God had planned for us initially can happen. In the verse we just read, the Bible says that it is a gift. And like any gift, you can choose to accept it or you can choose to reject it. If somebody makes you take a gift, it's not a gift. You say, well, now, Jonathan, I'm a little disappointed in you. It's awfully exclusivist. I mean, it's awfully narrow-minded to say in 2014 that there's only one way to heaven and to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I mean, surely you don't really mean that. I mean, after all, there's got to be a lot of ways to get to heaven. I mean, you know, if people are sincere about what they believe and, and you know, I mean, I, I cannot believe that God would only make one way available to heaven. You know, for the life of me, I cannot figure out where we get this idea. Because if you were walking in a field somewhere in, in the prairie grasses of Kansas and you got bitten by a poisonous snake... God forbid that should happen. And the life flight people come and take you and they fly you over to Wesley Hospital and the doctor come, rushes in the room and has a vial in his hand and says, we need to give you the antidote or the anti-venom. You know, none of us in this room would go, are you kidding me? How narrow-minded of you? What is wrong with you? You come in here, you give me one option. You, you give me one choice. You come in this room with one vial in your hand. You don't give me a few different, I mean, after all, I mean, you ought to at least let me have a choice. I ought to have a choice in the matter, so I want you to go and think about this and don't come back in this room till you have at least three choices for me, right? Now, that'd be crazy. You'd just be thankful that there was something that would work. You would be thankful that there was something that would save your life. And I want to tell you, and I hope you don't think I'm being hard-nosed about this, but I'm not worried a skosh about the fact that there is only one way to heaven. I'm just thankful that there is a way. Because God was not under any obligation to send his son to die on the cross for us, but he did it because he loved us. So it's not a matter of the fact that God is narrow-minded and only wants to give us one choice. It's that God is so wide-minded that it was not too much to ask to send his son to die so that there could be a way. And I'm thankful that there is a way. Say, Jonathan, did Jesus ever say that? I'm, I, this, is, this is just an add-on, just a tack-on. Did Jesus ever say that? Just so you know, Jesus did completely say this. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So what this tells us is that since each of us at some point has a moment where we, we've been appointed to leave this planet, it does require from us a decision. So quickly, just, just really quickly, and I'm going to be in overtime, I can tell this before I'm done, but if you were to say, Jonathan, I believe in Jesus, I have a relationship with God that's already settled, I know that I have a relationship with God, what can I expect when I die? Well, first off, you won't die, right? 
I told you, you were built to live forever. The soul within you is eternal, right? Look at this, John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus told Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, this is cool, will live even after dying. How's that for a dichotomy, right? Even, what, what he's saying is even after everybody on earth says you're dead, you won't be dead, you'll still be alive, right? Why? Because we go on living. Number two, you'll get to meet Jesus in person. How, how many of us are excited about that? I can't wait for that, right? Check this verse out, 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are fully confident. would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. That's a direct reference to Jesus. The moment that you leave this body, you will be with Jesus. Number three is you'll experience life as it was meant to be lived, as God meant life to be lived. The Bible said, trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus said, there's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am as best as I can figure this out. In the course of time, it's been about 2,000 years since Jesus said that. Now, if God can create the world in which we live in six human days, think about what he can get, have going on in, in 2,000 human years. I'm just saying, I think it's going to be pretty cool, right? It demands a decision. The question is, what will you do? By the way, I, I want to tell this story before I close. Uh, the church I served before I came to New Spring was First Baptist Church of Edmond, Oklahoma. Fantastic church on the north side of the Oklahoma City metro. And the pastor that I worked for, his name was Alan Day. Now, Alan was an interesting guy. Uh, when I, my wife and I became members of the church long before I started serving on staff. I was a mechanic, if you can believe that. And uh, after a few years on staff, they, um, or a few years attending the church, they offered me the opportunity to come on staff. Alan thought he saw some potential in me. Alan was the first person who asked me to preach. Alan was the first person in some specific areas of ministry that really invested in my life. And uh, so I owe a great debt to him and, and uh, have a tremendous respect for Alan Day. We moved here, uh, and this has been about four years ago. About 10 months uh, after we moved here for me to accept the position at New Spring, Alan was in a motorcycle accident and uh, passed away. He was 60. And uh, it was a tough loss. It really was, um, because I had so much respect for Alan. And I recall making plans to attend the funeral. Wendy and I went down to Oklahoma City together, and we got there a little earlier than we planned, and we got there about five minutes before visitation hours were over at the, at the funeral home. We hadn't planned to go to visitation, but we went ahead and stopped by. And nobody was there, just the, a couple funeral directors. And, and as we walked in, uh, I said to the lady, I said, you know, we're here for Alan Day. And she took us around to the side of the building and, and ushered us into a room, and she said, he's right there, you know. And I know what she meant. And I'm not trying to be facetious. But he wasn't there. I'm going to guarantee you there was a body lying in that casket, but that was not Alan Day. The moment that Alan Day hit the pavement on this earth and his life ended, he went to be with Jesus Christ, the person he had served on this earth for years and years and years. He was in his presence. And I say that because I want you to know. The Bible says that it's okay for us to grieve when someone on this earth passes away. The Bible says it's okay to grieve, but the Bible says don't grieve like somebody who doesn't have any hope because we know that the moment this person leaves this planet, they went to be in the arms of Jesus Christ. So I say that because, you know, I don't expect anything bad to happen to me, but you could get an invitation to my funeral at some point. Hope not. Hope not anytime soon. But if it were to happen... And if they have the little group of people, you know, they have you come walk in front of the box and I'm in there. And somebody in front of you says, oh, he looks so lifelike, right? Just feel free to say, no. <laughs> he really doesn't. 
Because I'll tell you what, I'm not a bit worried about looking life like in a box. I can't wait to be really alive with Jesus Christ. Because I tell you what, the moment I step off this planet, I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been before. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ, and it's going to be life like I've never experienced before. So let me tell you what, the most important decision of your life is where you will be the moment you step out into eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you love us, that you made a way for us, that your son died for us. Thank you so much that you care about us, that you didn't leave us in the wrong line, that you didn't abandon us, but you came back for us to give us a second chance and a way to have a relationship with you. We love you. And heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. God, I ask you to speak to hearts in this moment. If you're in this room and you say, you know what, Jonathan, I don't have a relationship with God but I think I get it now and I want to. I want to help you with that because I told you it's a gift. God is holding it out in front of you. All that remains is for you to say, yes, I accept it. I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer and you don't have to say this out loud. You can just say this silently in your head to God. And if you do, and if, if this is what's happening in your heart and these words accurately reflect what you're thinking and what you're feeling, it'll be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died to pay my bill. I recognize that I cannot get to heaven on my own, but I trust you because I believe your promises. So I ask for your forgiveness and I ask you to make me God's child. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, you can look this way. If you're in this room and you just prayed that prayer, you just made the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing is more important. So if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take that talk to us card you got. I want you to check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Take it to guest services. They have a packet of stuff that we've put together for you. We would just want to get that in your hands before you leave today. Okay, thank you so much. One more week of New Spring Live, then we start a new series.